The Late Morning Program with Nam Ras Podcast. Hi Krishna, you are listening to the Late Morning Program with Namras, the number one Hare Krishna podcast in the world. I'm here joined with my co-host and wife, Tulsi. And we're here uh, talking to Damodar Swarup Prabhu, also known as Damodar Kordua, uh, who is a wonderful relationship coach, life coach, and counselor. He loves to talk about relationships uh, and couples and counseling them. Uh, and um, also within the context of bhakti. And uh, we're really excited to talk to you today, Prabhu. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, your intro music really got me excited. I'm ready to <laughs> dive in. And I just want to take a moment to appreciate what you do for the Hare Krishna diaspora, you know, and representing so many different voices in the movement. I really appreciate Thank you so much. I, I appreciate that. So the way I got in touch with uh, Damodar Sarut Prabhu is I saw his Instagram content. I'll put out his uh, Instagram handle at the end. But um, a lot of really great reels about relationship advice and things like that. And so I thought, why not bring him on, talk about it, talk about his journey. And so maybe Prabhu, first we can start out with um, how did you come in touch with uh, spirituality, Krishna consciousness? And maybe before that, where did you grow up and how was that? Yeah, I'd love to talk about it. Such always such a good question. Um, I was a latchkey kid. Do you know what that is? No, no. A latchkey kid's mean it kind of comes from the idea that the kid lets himself or herself or their self into the house and there's no parents there. Oh. So when I was a teenager, my parents were separated. And this is going to segue into relationship stuff. So it's interesting. Right, right. So uh, they, they were separated and I was like a teen. I felt lonely. I felt like I wasn't getting, I mean, I love my family. I'm not trying to throw them under the bus, but I, at that time I felt like I wasn't getting the love for my family that I needed. And I went to an all boys Catholic school in the Philadelphia area. And I also felt kind of at a step there, at a touch there. And so from that space, and this is upon my reflection from that space of loneliness, I became a seeker. So it was actually kind of cool. It gave me that resource. But I became a seeker. I wanted something to make me feel good. I wanted something to make me feel connected. I wanted something to make me feel loved. And I tried it through all types of stuff. You know, I got into like underground music, hardcore punk. I got into art. I got into all types of interesting things within like a city environment. And in getting into hardcore punk, uh, there was a couple bands that I'm sure the listeners know about. Shelter being a main band and this band 108 as well. And I got into this music. And when I got into this music, not only did it like satisfy my angst and my existential question as to who am I, who loves me, where am I at, you know, but it also answered like a deeper question, you know, that, that probably my soul was searching for at the time. So I would say that Bhakti entered my life, one, as simply a coping mechanism frankly put like a way to like give myself something to feel like there's something better than what i have or something bitter, bigger but i think also at the same time it affected me you know i listened to the lyrics i read or i tried to read the bhagavad-gita as it is as a, a young adult teenager and um yeah i was really opened up to the idea of bhakti 
at the time in Philadelphia, there was Harinam on South Street. So if you were like South Street, sort of like St. Mark's Place in New York City back in the day, it's sort of like a bastion of like punk and counterculture. So the Hare Krishnas would go down the street and I was in that scene, you know, doing like graffiti in the alleyway with my friend who was a graffiti artist. And I remember uh, hearing them and hearing of them and reading about them and, you know, looking at the, the back of the uh, books and seeing the address, Allen's Lane, Philadelphia, love feast, but I never really got any association. So I, I would say that at that time, you know, my teacher was, was to some extent shelter and, and Prabhupada through Bhagavad Gita as it is, but I never got any, um, any, any association. And fast forward years later, I moved through many different lives. I became an artist. I went to art school in Chicago and lived a very, uh, what should say, artist, a sensual life of being an artist. You know, like the stereotype, like I wanted to try everything. I wanted to do everything. I wanted, you know, to experience everything. And, um, and I did that um, to interesting effect. And I still felt at that time in my journey, like there was still some longing in my heart. Um, there was like a spiritual longing. And, you know, years later, maybe it was a seed that was planted. Okay. I should also say that when I was growing up in the Catholic tradition, um, which was I went to a Jesuit all boys high school, uh, I was really into uh, Catholic uh, or not Catholic, some of the uh, Christian theology that was being taught to me. But at that time, the Catholic Church was full of just, um, you know, a lot of backlash because of abuse, of pre of priest uh, abusing um boys and stuff like that. So that was like the furthest, furthest thing from my mind as a possibility. So something like bhakti seemed like, you know, I had no baggage with it. It seemed like a great, a great, you know, alternative. So years later, after experimenting um, with all the things that one like in an art school could experiment with, I won't list them here because that might not be appropriate. Um, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I sort of like got, I got into, um, you know, I had many lives, but to make a long story short, I got into tattooing. Okay, so I got into tattoo work. And when I was tattooing, I um, the vibrations weren't very high in the place that I was tattooing in. And a friend of mine was like, well, you know, I do massage therapy. You ever think about massage therapy? So I, I gave massage therapy a try. And to make a longer story short, uh, massage therapy led me to thinking, well, maybe I need to keep my body strong and flexible. And so I'll start doing some yoga, oh. so I doing some yoga asana. And this was still uh, on the tales of living a very um, artistic, um, experiential lifestyle. Sort <laughs> 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 of dancing around the words of this, of that type of life. Yeah. And, um, and I got into yoga and I just dove in, you know, like I, I had this, schedule book you know before iphones or smartphones and you know i'd have a schedule if, you, if people are watching the video and it would be like a schedule and then i'd write in every little time that i could go to a yoga class I'd be like, i need to one at 7 a.m like oh, when can i fit it in my schedule and my whole life was like i just wanted to go to a yoga class wow and i was like just addicted to it so i dove in and for those of you familiar with the yoga asana practice the yoga asana practice right deals with the subtle uh the physical gross body 
the subtle body, meaning the mind, and it primes the, the physical body and the subtle body to be more receptive, hopefully, to spiritual wisdom. So interestingly, I'm getting really into yoga. I do a teacher training. I, everything's aligning. It's just like, yeah, I'm just supposed to go, you know? And um, I try all these different styles of yoga because my seeker ways come back. And lo and behold, at the studio that I'm teaching at and uh, I've done my training at, this, uh, this person comes to teach a workshop. And his name is Raghunath. Oh. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> well, at the time, um, I didn't realize that it was the same person from. Oh, right. Yeah. And so Raghunath came. I'm sure the listeners know about Raghunath. You know Raghunath. That's uh, he's he's got a lot of shakti. He's got a lot of um, empowerment. And he came in and and we chanted and we did crazy handstands and headstands and and we stared at each other's eyes and started crying and all all these things. And then I just remember when we chanted at the end, it was so powerful. Mm. And I remember I went home that night to my little like bachelor pad apartment and it's still in Philadelphia. And um, I just remember making some like pasta, it was pasta. And I just started crying, I started crying and crying and crying. And um, yeah, something was opened up, something was cracked open. Wow. Or you could say the seed that was planted many years ago had finally like given some soil and a whole bunch of water. Okay. I'm ready to grow right now. Right. Wow. So that was, that was my main um, entry and a little synopsis of the story. But now you're in, now you're not in Philadelphia anymore. I'm not in Philadelphia. Yeah. Now. um, And I, and I had moved a bunch of times in between in that story to different cities, but uh, now I'm in Tucson, Arizona. Yeah. So we live in Tucson, Arizona, my wife and I, how long have you been there for? We've been there now for three years. We were just talking about the other day, three years. And uh, you also mentioned that you're an entrepreneur. Um, so is that what you do in, in Tucson? Yeah, yeah. So we started that yoga journey and c- connecting with Raghunath um, as a big part of it uh, opened us up not only to a spiritual life uh, or myself up, I'll speak for myself, not my wife, but opened me up to a spiritual life. But it also, um, we became uh, business owners. In fact, we went on a pilgrimage with Raghunath. And I remember the first pilgrimage, I remember saying, I'm going to ask India. I didn't, I never, never been to India. So I was like, oh, I'm going to ask India. This is probably what all white <laughs> people going to India do. <laughs> India, what I should do with my life. Right. I've been saving money, teaching yoga at that time, doing massage, and uh, I wanted to do something. And, um, you know, we went to the Ganges and we went to these very holy places. And, you know, I, you know, I don't, I, I joked about it, but I, you know, very, very, it makes me want to cry really. I mean, very profound experiences occurred during that pilgrimage. And when we came home, this might sound a little woo woo, but when we came home, I knew we were supposed to open a space between this street and this street where we were living. And oh my gosh! It means from whatever that means. I just knew this is where we were supposed to to serve, and maybe I wouldn't have called it service at the time. And so we opened up a yoga studio, 
And um, from there, we, we created a healing space. It's still there called Palo Santo Yoga in South Philadelphia. I still, still do the teacher training there. Oh. And um, we just expanded from there uh, just with this idea that this is, you know, where we're being led without any real entrepreneur experience. And, um, and I really think in the beginning as an entrepreneur, getting into bhakti as like a, a young bhakta, you know, just kind of drinking the Kool-Aid, so to speak, really, really into it. It was such a resource because I really, really felt plugged in at that time to say, you know, I'm just being called to do this and whatever happens, happens, you know, like I felt some degree of detachment and offering and that didn't last very long because the mind, <laughs> the mind is very fickle, right? So as soon as I started to uh, become an entrepreneur, I soon enough became attached to many things <laughs> and rode that way. But that's where it started. It started early on and, and our pilgrimage to India was a big deal. And from that space, my wife and I have continued to grow as, uh, as, as a couple and as, yeah, as business owners together. She does a whole herbal wellness uh, remedy product line called Baba Wellness. And um, she's, she's the more talented one in the relationship. She's very creative, creative, and she makes amazing herbal tinctures and teas and skincare and incense. And then um, I have do a lot of yoga teaching and I've pivoted more and more to relationship coaching, relationship counseling and life coaching. Yeah, that's something, like I said earlier, like really interests me. Um, how did you get into that, like from the yoga space and then, like you said, your wife's uh, shop and things like that? How did you get into that relationship coaching space? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question. Well, when we moved to Tucson, we had a lot of struggles. Um, I mean, we had a lot of victories as well. I mean, but materially, it was different and it was... Um, a new place, a new environment. We moved there right before COVID started. Um, So there was a lot of small business challenge. And um, I was new to teaching yoga in in the area. And and that was sort of like a lot to move into. And so that was one reason I was sort of like opening myself up to, I think a new or Krishna, I think was opening myself up to something new. He was putting a situation in 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 my way so I, I could see what was next for me. But I actually feel as though my, my spiritual life um, brought me to it in the sense of like when we started to take on the ideals and philosophies of bhakti, which are very elevated, um, I noticed that in relationship with my wife, and we have a very good relationship, they weren't always lived out in me. Like, I was like, wait a second here. I'm trying to live like this. And when I get triggered by my wife, I'm thinking and saying these other things. Right. To me, that was a red flag. I was like, this does, I'm not integrating something here. And I felt like I don't have the tools within which to do so. And, uh, and that was interesting. So I give the Krishna conscious tradition a lot of credit because it's sort of gave me a barometer to say like, Hey man, like you're off here. You're not living up to these values. Of course, I still don't live up to these values, but I'm trying and the relationship work and coaching, getting it, learning it, studying it and giving it helps me actually. 
So that's that's kind of how I got into it. It's, there's something really interesting in what you said that I just clicked. It clicked for me now that okay, there's something about performing bhakti on your own, but there's a whole nother thing to be said about performing bhakti in a really close relationship like that is that's it's isn't it it's so true i mean like yeah. like i didn't think of it like that i thought okay you become a grahasa you become married and you just do both do your bhakti and that's that but there's a there's such a whole complex like it's very complex behind that well, you would think that like oh one plus one equals two it's just two people separately performing bhakti mm -hmm. or living together but it's there's like a whole dynamic that's <laughs> underneath that and layers of expectation and thing that you know that's, we have those for regular relationships but then krishna consciousness or bhakti on top of that is like a whole another layer that you have to that's super fascinating can can we talk about that a little bit more like what's your experience yeah yeah what is your experience in um, even just your own relationship, but also coaching people? Uh, and let's unpack that a little bit. Performing bhakti, but as a couple. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, from my own experience, I think um, especially early on, you know, getting into bhakti, um, you know, as as like sort of I talked to you in the email as my bio and I just described what my story, you know, I got into bhakti at a later age in my 30s. So I had, you know, lived a, a lot of other life um, as well. And so getting into it and maybe deep diving into it, sometimes, I don't know, I just see this happen. People get a little fanatical. I don't know. Absolutely. It's a rite of passage. Totally, it's a rite of passage. Yeah, it's a great way of putting it. And um, and I'm going to make some interesting parallels with that in a moment. But so I'll come back to that. But yeah, so I was, I was probably really that way when I look back at it, you know. <laughs> And I think I was also acting in a way towards my partner that probably uh, gave her a lot of pressure, even though she was on the path with me. But, you know, she's different than me. She, she might be in another place on, on her path. Right. And I think I, I was, when I look back, um, putting pressure on her, maybe acting in ways that, yeah, was expecting her to be a certain way and expecting myself to be a certain way, probably prematurely, you know. <laughs> Um, How and, long had you both been together at that point when you were kind of entering the, uh, you know, bhakti journey? The bhakti journey. Um, let me see here. Well, you know, it's interesting because we went to India. We, I went to India and she met me after my pilgrimage. So um, we started getting into it pretty early. Um, I would say within the first year. And we're now married together eight years. Wow. Okay. Yeah. But it was those early times were gradual. Right. And then, you know, I looked down and I realized I crossed the line in the sand, you know, I was like, Oh, I guess I'm, I guess I'm one of them now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Too late. By the mercy of Raghunath. He's just sort of very, very, uh, he ropes you in. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, um, so I think we did, we were doing it in a sense together, but still at different places. I, I really think, and, and you know when you're when you're early in a relationship, check this out. When you're early in a relationship, there's also a honeymoon phase. Mm. There's also you dive in and you you actually the relationship seems more, more connect not for everybody but for a lot of people more connected like passionate. You're oh my god, so you're excited and present, yeah. and then you start to realize oh you're a little different. <laughs> okay, well that's a lot different. different. <laughs> And yeah. then, and the things that, 
uh, your patterns as a person actually start to come up your deeper patterns they actually biologically they say can't even show up early on in that phase because you're being flooded with relationships i'm not talking about bhakti with relationships because you're flooded with these chemicals to bond you to a person it's very mm-hmm. efficient um developmentally to have you bond and to have you reproduce but then you're there and you notice you're different and i think it's interesting because the two somewhat mirror one another because in bhakti in the beginning you're like in it and you're like expecting and you're like i'm here and then it settles and you're like whoa okay at least for for newbies where where am i how do i do this how is this sustainable this relationship Mm. analogy you get it just like with a couple is this sustainable and how do we work it out so i think with my wife and i we are not only honeymooning as a couple but we were honeymooning with bhakti oh okay so i also think that both of us might have betrayed parts of who we are you know um and i'm not saying that in a bad way i know betray sounds like an intense term it's sort of, you know, there's a natural uh, rite of passage to that. But I think we betrayed parts of who we are to, for each other, which happens in the, in the beginning stage and for bhakti a little bit. And then, then when the differences started coming up, we were like, wait a second. Why is it? What do you, why are you doing that? Or why am I doing right. Does that make sense? Yeah, hmm. definitely. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes and, right at the beginning, there's so much desire to, you know, you have you have so many expectations in your mind that you kind of put those on the person or on the spiritual practice. And it's like, this is what I want from it. And that's actually not what it is. And it takes much longer to like find out the truth, the truth of the relationship and the truth of your practice. Like, what am I comfortable with? And how can this be my normal everyday thing rather than just a kind of exciting journey that I've just started and everything's great? Yeah, I love that um, that description. And, and you know, using the analogy um, for both they, the beginning of a relationship and I think the beginning of bhakti, they both kind of put forward those expectations sometimes, you know, and, and bhakti, you know, obviously like there's, there's, you're thrown into um, the expectations being high, which is good, but then it's navigating, okay, after that beginning phase to get you there, to, to ring you in, how is it sustainable? And it's the same thing with the relationship, because when I see a lot of couples, either in the bhakti tradition or not, you know, they often have a hard time when things settle and they have to deal with their differences and how to manage that and how to make it something that can, they can grow from and be with instead of pretend is not there or hide from. So usually couples in that stage, right, when they land, you know, uh, at least like in the secular world, I guess I'll say in Bhakti, it might be different because as soon as you're dating someone, you're married to them. But, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, but, you know, what happens is that people either check this out, I keep on saying, check this out. I, don't know I love that. that. Keep saying like, it. I love it. Love it. Hey, I'm a whole rabbit on my hat now. Um, so, uh, so in the beginning, uh, or excuse me, at that stage when the differences rise up in relationship, usually people either break up, um, maybe not in bhakti, you know, because of the marriage thing, um, 
just kidding. That was just a side. But sometimes. <laughs> or they stay together, but they don't address those differences. Right. In a, in a way with the tools and perspectives to really be with them and see them and figure out how to collaborate to move through them. And they live in the differences and they adapt in a maladaptive way by maybe pushing some stuff under the rug, by betraying themselves for a while for the other person, by arguing without uh, navigating conflict well, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So, in, in a, uh, I have a thought on that is that um, from my experience, I feel like as a man, I would um, want to kind of push things down and, and kind of sacrifice for the relationship. Not that woman does not sacrifice, but I'm saying the, it's like my personality maybe to uh, tolerate things or tolerate things between us that may not be uh, working or whatever like that. So what would you say to is that healthy or is that something that, I mean, we're going into the, we're going to the counseling yeah. session right now. So. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're very healthy, Prabhu. <laughs> but, or I should say, and, right. um, and, you know, from my belief and my experience with emotions, you know, what you just said, often true culture with men, culturally with men and, and also different backgrounds too, like depending on the culture that we're from, uh, if our family, of the larger culture we're from, uh, or where we're from in the world. Yeah. But I do see that emotion, to me, emotions are information. So even though you might push them down well, which is a great adaptation in some ways, <laughs> I might put forward that they have to go somewhere. Mm. Like they will come out somewhere. And sometimes they might come out in a way that could be not productive for the relationship. Okay. That, that that's what I've noticed. And then furthermore, I've also noticed in a very, maybe like, we'll just talk about heterosexual couples is that my experience is that one or both, maybe, maybe, maybe female bodied uh, people might also respond better to emotional connection. Mm meaning that might allow them to feel more connected to you. Your value system might say it's actually better to put them aside and make things okay and maybe do the external things like as a provider, as a man might do. Right. And oftentimes the value system of the other person, even if it's not gendered, it could be, you know, could be not based on that, but often is, might be thinking, well, I, actually, I need that because I, it will make me feel this connection. You hit the nail on the head there. <laughs> what do you mean? Because, yeah, this was my realization, actually. I don't know if it was in retrospect, but like maybe with the, in the first year after we got married, I started to understand that the way that we would argue, the style in which we would argue was different. Like I, before I got married, I just thought like, okay, people have arguments and the way they solve it is X, Y, Z. But then I started to understand that like my way of arguing was that I needed to finish the argument, not personally finish it, but I needed it to resolve before I could continue feeling normal, acting mm. normal. And for him, it was like, I need to not talk about it and leave it for a few days so I can kind of clear my head and then we can re revisit it and like discuss more. And I was like, 
that's just not possible. <laughs> I can't go three days without like talking about this and like getting it off my chest. And so it was like this, like, yeah, we couldn't even argue in the same way. So I, I, I know most of the time he would just be like, okay, whatever, you're right. And then <laughs> just, <laughs> we're good. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, you know, it's interesting with that is that, you know, and this is why I uh, qualified the gender thing is that, what you're talking about is actually what's known as attachment style. Okay, so when we're when we're born, and, and it can involve gender too, and gender ideologies and roles. But when we're born, uh, we bond to our mother in certain ways, and those early bonding years and how we bid for love, they they at least this is what what they say in neurobiology, is that those patterns actually come back out with our primary partner. And so two patterns that are prevalent is one is like the pursuer, like I want to engage, I want to connect and I want to solve this. Mm. And another style of attachment, I'm being very general here. Um, I can give the audience some links if they want to go deeper into this, is that there it's called avoidance style. Like a way of dealing with it is mm, I don't want I'm not going to deal with it. And I'm going to go, I'm going to go over here, do my thing. And so oftentimes, and that's why I said it might not be gender because in my relationship, I'm the pursuer. That's probably why I do relationship coaching and I love to talk about emotions and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm the one who's like, I want to talk about it now. I want to go deep into it. I want to connect. And my wife is like too much, too much. And you know what the thing that happens is that my, by me wanting to pursue and go more into it, it makes her less receptive to it. So I'm not yes. even saying what I yes. want. So you feel so understood right now. <laughs> Are you validated now, Prabhu? Yes, very validated. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I and I realized that I was like, okay, but at the same time, there's no there's no right or wrong here. These are just like styles. These are ways that people um, navigate relationally and it is said that those things are kind of like blueprints in us. Meaning uh, Nam Ras Prabhu, you can maybe adapt to meet your partner where they're at, but that is your sort of style in right. a sense, right? So it's not, it's not to be pathologized or wronged, but it might be ameliorated by some work and vice versa for Tulsi. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can get to know your partner's style in a certain way and you both kind of like dance within that. Mm -hmm. The partnerships um, that we get into are mirrors. That's what I call them to my clients. So to your beginning opening uh, statement about um, spiritual life and doing it uh, alone and then kind of doing it together. Oh yeah, well, that should be pretty good. It's like, now we're doing it together. That's, but actually what happens is when we get into partnership, the other person becomes a mirror of some of our patterns that otherwise, if we're a monk on our own meditating, we actually won't even see. Right. Right. So we won't see unless we're in the Grihasta ashram. Yeah. Because that person's like bringing them out. So I, I find mm -hmm. that I find that interesting. I used to say it's like shining a ma magnifying glass on yourself, like like all these th like I thought I was like a good person, and then when I got into a relationship, like like oh, what what's wrong with me? <laughs> all these things are coming out that I'm like that's not a nice thing to do, or that's not being a nice person. Like 
it's just like this, like, you know, pulling out all this like black stuff from your in, internal, you know, being that you've never had to deal with before. Yeah. yeah, I love that. And I, I love what you're saying there. And for me, as you know, someone also on a spiritual path, like, how exciting. I mean, you could one someone might be listening to that and being like, I'm not getting into a relationship. You just scared me away from that. But from another point of view, how exciting that like, we have this chanting process. I mean, then we also have these this relationship that's bringing out this stuff, you know, some of the coverings in a different sense right, that we can sort of work through with the proper um, consciousness and the proper guidance. Or we don't see that as a ability to grow and to, as you said, put the, the fine uh, magnifying glass on ourself. And we just get more entrenched in it. And, uh, and I think that happens a lot. And I think it also happens with people on a spiritual path and, and they, they might be good here but in their own personal relationship, some of that stuff could be coming out and it's, it's maybe not dealt with well. It's, there might not be the tools to see how we can negotiate and even grow from it and become stronger together, stronger in our understanding of each other, stronger in our spiritual practice, more empowered as people and as a couple. That's my goal. Right. That, that gets me excited. Like and spiritual and personal growth should kind of be going hand in hand at the same level. So you're like improving both of them at the same time. I way. think so. I, that's been my experience because it is easy to, um, it can be easy to maybe, you know, we talked about the honeymoon stage of bhakti. It could be easy to like maybe push aside some of that gunk through spiritual practice and not see it you know they call this like spiritual bypassing like not hold space for it and it, but if you keep putting it down it's still that it's still operating somewhere mm. it's going to be operating so why not have other tools that god has gifted us um to also maybe not replace your spiritual practice but be uh, an assistant to it i'd like to, yeah yeah i'd like to um ask you about you know because a lot of my listeners are also like young people getting into relationships so what would you say is things to look out for like very much in the context of bhakti like we're 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 you know we're looking for people who are you know good devotees and you know who are you know having straight tilak or whatever it is but like Deeper than that, what's deeper than that? What people should be looking for in a in a potential partner? Wow, that's a that's a big question. I love it. <laughs> well, I, I I have questions about the you know yeah. further along in the relationship, but I want to start there. So because it's like way before even yeah being in a relationship. What we're what we're looking for? Yeah. Well, you know, it is interesting. Um, if there's, if you're speaking from someone, I'm assuming two people that are into bhakti and they're going to come together as a couple. Yeah. Um, I mean, some general gauges from when you're like, it, what I would call the vetting process. Yeah. Would be to pay attention to their family of right. origin and pay attention to their friends and their relationship with their friends and how they treat the people in their life and also be aware, which I don't think we uh, consciously are like, we of course talk about like honeymoon phase, but be aware that when you're starting to date someone, 
you're usually flooded with chemicals and you're going to have a skewed, somewhat of a skewed perspective on things. You know, like you might not pay attention to some of like the vetting things. Like you might not think about well, what is their family like and how are they interacting with their family? And what's the culture of this family like? What is their background like? And, and that's not to say you can't be with someone from a background that you're like, oh, I don't know. Or this is quite, you know what I mean? But it, it does give you clues. It gives you clues to say, OK, this person to what you're getting into, this person might have certain emotional traits that are going to come out in the relationship. And to assume they're not is just to be blinded by love or, or the idea of fall, falling in love. So that's one thing that I recommend, or two things I recommend, to be aware of that first part of your journey, that you're really in this kind of chemical high, mm -hmm. and then to start to pay attention to their sangha, to their family, to who they're around and how they treat other people. Right. And then I think early on, if, if, two, if a couple can start to create honest communication, and this is where emotional awareness is helpful, because emotional awareness will give each other you can give yourself more information to sort of speak about what's really going on. In the beginning of a relationship, as, as I mentioned earlier in the courtship phase, we often hide unconsciously or consciously parts of ourselves so that we can get that person, you know? So can... <laughs> Don't tell them you're crazy. <laughs> exactly. We'll just hide that for a while, put it in this little box over here. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's, it's really important to start the, creating a co-creating a culture where you can get together and be clear and honest. It's hard in the beginning, right? To, to do that, uh, even like biologically, but to be clear and honest, communicate and have time to share what you're feeling. If you're, if you're a, a, someone in Krishna consciousness, be frank and clear about your spiritual journey and, and where you're at and, and, voice it to your partner. Sometimes couples might do the opposite and, and try to be like, I'm, you know, I'm, 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 it. I'm owning it. I'm great. You know, I, you know what I mean? Like, look at me. I'm so good in my spiritual practice and, right. and so be attracted to me. I think that might be in bhakti sort of like the bird putting up its feathers. Like I'm attractive. Look at my, I mean, <laughs> we're, we're absolutely. smiling and laughing so much because it's, it's all you're true. saying everything that we experience. Wow. Is that true? Is that, I, mean, I don't, yeah. I, I didn't have that experience personally. So no, no, we, no, we, we I, had I mean, that exact experience. I mean, I could totally relate with that. Like trying to put on some kind of front so she'll like me more or. And, and, and we also, I mean, I've heard this before, but people say, oh yeah, don't like, you know, get into a relationship with anyone. If you just like met them in India because they're at their best <laughs> spiritual. Oh. <laughs> They're like, they're like going to Mangalarti. They're like, yeah, I'm so fired up. And then they go back to their regular life outside of that pilgrimage. And they're like, I'm struggling, man. Like, I'm really fine. You never heard that? No, no. I yeah. mean, I think I remember you saying that, but that totally makes sense. And yeah, it's it's really interesting how when you go then farther in the relationship, then things start like the box that you had starts coming up and opening up and things that you you didn't want to uh, maybe disclose or habits or whatever it was comes out automatically. But I love yeah. that point that you were saying about looking at their family, because I mean, that is a very traditional mm. way of getting into relationships, which is often like 
you know, dismissed this, these days by, you know, by secular culture, but even by people who are practicing bhakti, it's like almost irrelevant, especially if the families are not practicing bhakti or, you know, even if they are, people are like, well, it doesn't matter. I'm marrying that person. You know, I mean, even secular people say you're marrying the family. You are marrying the family. They're part of, and parcel of that family. And you have to take that into consideration. And I know for me, that was important. Like, what, where his family were, if they were devotees or not. Um, that was just a personal thing that I was kind of attached to. And that was the questions that my parents were asking, like, who are his family? And they wanted to know before we got into that relationship. Because I can say for sure the chemicals were already, uh, you know, they were they were going for me. And um, so I think that vetting process is so easily overlooked. And it's so important, though. Um, to emphasize for people, especially young. Yeah, it sounds like traditional, which it is, but it's actually very practical. Right. Mm. And 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 uh, biologically um, true, because we will take on patterns. As much as you rebelled against your family, you know, someone rebels against their family, you're taking on yeah. the culture within which you came from. So. And then, and then when you know the relationship is established, etc., and then that honeymoon phase goes away, then what would you say is um, things to look out for or things to work on uh, with your partner where you can be more vulnerable and more honest? Does it like for us? I think it might have happened kind of naturally, like because we kind of were brought to our knees in the sense of like our like you know, we, we live and we're, we're working and we're, we have a family and things. So it's like, you're kind of urged, urged to become honest and who you are is like, cause you're living with that down person. To the wire. Like, who, like we're struggling for this or that or the other, like what is the truth of like what we want in life and what we want to be. Right. So maybe I guess my question is how did, how do you make that happen without it? being forced upon you perhaps or like what can our listeners kind of do to um make that happen in a more natural way i guess yeah yeah almost like maybe proactive or yeah sort of like a proactive yeah. way yeah well if you if you if you started with your uh partner and started um like i'm coaching a couple right now that uh they're 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 not bhaktas but they're getting into a relationship at a later age after being in previous relationships mm -hmm. And they're already starting during this early phase, this culture of communication and this openness. And, and, and I teach a style that maybe I'll lead you through if we have time. Oh, um, yeah, please. Of like, a, you know, a listening kind of way of sharing that can bring things out in a very intimate, uh, telling, you know, healthy way. So I would I would if they're already doing that, then they are, they're pretty set because they have that culture going in their in their relationship. And I, I think looking having the perspective in your mind that this relationship is not static that it shifts and changes and that um there are going to be always challenges and there's always going to be differences that come up and there's going to be some of those boxes that come out from the closet and opened up and there might be things that are confronting and learning how to do conflict well which is something that i would teach uh, and also learning to create a culture of really negotiating, expressing our true feelings about things, coming back to center is important. 
what I, uh, which I've, I've gotten through some of my mentors is what I teach is that in relationship, once you get through the honeymoon and you go into that dif differentiating stage is what is what it's called um, developmentally, the stage of differentiation, which it mirrors the child and a mother because a child is with the mother bonded completely. And then the child starts to differentiate itself like in the twos and say, I'm oh. a person. You see how it mirrors it? Do that with the little one. <laughs> so, yeah, because you, you're um, parents. You might yes. see some of that in, in real time. Mm -hmm. um, and so the same thing happens with a partnership is that we start to see, oh, sh oh we're different people. Mm -hmm. So from there, it's understanding we are, it's okay that we are different people. Right. Some people, they struggle. They want their per partner to, to be something they're never going to be. And this happens with spiritual uh, communities because then there might be also expectations of spiritual sadhana or lifestyle or all those things, which are, of course, good, but could be problematic when in the beginning stages, if someone's kind of putting forward consciously or not that they're in a certain place and then the differences settle and then the person's not there and the other partner's like, I'm pointing my fingers right now. Like what, what's what, you know, what, what, you know, and yeah, there has to be a really healthy understanding at that point for the relationship to go forward. Okay. This person is different than me. We're individuals. I respect myself as an individual. I respect my partner. And at the same exact time, the same exact time, there is this third entity called the relationship. It's not like we're two ships on parallel um, courses. And it's not like we're, you know, this is a word people use like codependent, which sounds kind of bad or negative, right. but we're both individuals with our differences that we have to really hold space for. And we're cultivating this third space, which is the relationship. So I teach couples to nurture both, to nurture the ability to understand each other as individuals and embrace difference and navigate it and, and learn from it and to really give time to create this we you me and we we is the third entity wow wow okay i think for me like that's really profound because that differential differentiating stage i think was really difficult for me because i i mean i was about uh, i was 24 when we got married and we'd already been together for two years before that and i think so much of my expectation in life like I I always knew I wanted to get married I always knew that it was just I was just gonna go for it and then once I got married that was like part of my identity immediately mm -hmm. and it was like I didn't ever want to be like separated it was like we do everything together and yeah. and we have to be a united front and we have to go to every single program or, or like together and if i had to do something separate from him it was like no this is weird people are going to think something and like it was like this need to always have this unified front and uh, yeah and and i know it would you would struggle with that a lot and and you know because i'm more of a social person and he likes to kind of, you know be a little bit have his own time and so i was like wait that's not who i thought you were <laughs> like i thought you wanted to do all the social functions with me yeah and you got married right generally right after that stage of the first stage sort of lasts about two years one and a half two right. years and then those those sort of differences start to, to come out mm -hmm. so so that's like a dance like you you just 
explained that you're, you know, you're different. You have different natures to some degree. Right. And um, how do you dance in separate, it's like separation and togetherness. Right. Right. How so do you dance being separate people and then also one? It's like a chinta beta beta. Yeah, exactly. Chips. So what are the, some of the things that you go through with couples to help them with their, you know, like you said, the third thing, the relationship and the, them as different people and trying to, I guess, coexist in a harmonious way, I guess? Yeah, yeah. Um, that's a great question. Well, I do, I do recommend that couples like, like, I'll give you an example of my own life. Like my wife and I run a business together. So we're like, we do different things, but we're really around each other a lot. And I, I have workaholic tendencies. Um, my, my father's sort of a workaholic and, and it's good for, for being an entrepreneur because you can go to work all the time. And um, so I'm working and we're working together and I'm like, you know, we're together. And, and my wife is like, um, we need some time together. And I'm like, what do you mean? We're we're always together. Like we're working together. Oh my gosh! I said the same thing like last week. <laughs> he works from home full time now, so it's kind of a very similar situation. Anyway, sorry to interrupt. Yeah. Oh, so there, yeah, I think it's very relatable. Um, you know, so I was like, what? You know, and from her point of view, which I really appreciate, and I give her so much credit. Um, I'm so blessed. Is that she was saying we need to connect. Like we're not together. We're we're like doing stuff. We're like you know administering things. We're like <laughs> right. like you're, you're running a family and you're working. Like that's task. That's like a lot of that. That's not not being together as the two of you, mm. dear soul, as a couple. Which right. I also tell my clients is different than you with your children as a family. Right. For the couple to stay together and grounded, navigating parenthood that's also super important and it's hard one because i know lives were so busy yes. but you know we're so blessed probably we you and i i think we could probably cultivate a little time i challenge my clients when they when they say well i don't have enough time i'm like well you probably do you can cultivate we can cultivate some time to come together just as a couple and really be connected and, and remember what it's like to be the we because even though we're together a lot and we're with our kids or we might not be really um nurturing that we might have forgotten that what does that connection mean exactly like uh for example i think we had guests over or something so we left the kid with the guests and i went we went to go pick up some firewood from oh, some yeah. guy and we just like drove it was just me and her and we're in a, our van and we just went it and it was so weird <laughs> it was so weird and exciting because it was like Oh my God, it's just me and you again. Like, there's no kids. Be... There's no one. It's just me and you. We're just going like down the street. To get... But, but, but that was in some ways connecting, but also wasn't because we were doing some type of work. So what would you say is like, what is connection? Yeah. Yeah. I'm hearing you say Prabhu that like it was happenstance. You kind of like went to get this firewood, but, but it actually turned out to be a cool place of connection. Right. So I would ask you, what did that, since you brought that up, what did that feel like for you? I mean, it was just that we're alone. 
together. It was like no responsibilities, basically. And right? we were do and we were going somewhere because it, it reminds me of like when we would travel together. Right. We would just be me and you, and we would just be going somewhere, and it was like we it was like it was like a, a nice connection because. Also, it was like freedom, like driving away from the house, and yeah, there was something about it. it was like a symbolic thing. It was weird. And then, yeah, for, maybe for the two of you, those are some of the traits because I think that each couple cre creates this world within within the, the we. And for you, I'm I'm hearing maybe when you were younger, before you had a fam, uh, you were parents and you had a family, you traveled together, and that's how you traveled you, around the world. Yeah. yeah, you traveled around the world, and and that's that's a way you connected because mm. you were with each other and you were didn't have you were free you didn't have all mm. the burdens of of a household and so i would say that's a positive space for you to come back to so that happened sounds like happenstance but the conscious couple might say that's how we connect we connect maybe by traveling and maybe it's not traveling to india or to well, whatever timbuktu maybe it's just traveling down the street to get some firewood and, and, it, and it gives us some of that right yeah yeah ninja when you're busy and so like for my wife it's the same thing my wife and i we have always traveled together a lot so we make a priority for travel because i know how much it brings us together we both right. know how much it brings us together or you know other activities now sometimes for me because i'm a i'm stuck in my head and i'm a doer i have i feel like i get caught up because maybe my way of, of loving is to do which is stereotypical type of, of man type of thing but when i do notice my wife bids for us to just be present it's different right it's not you know and if you think about the gunas it's not like rajasic i'm not like trying to get something done i'm just here with her I, i'm just here we're just here together. Right. Just taking a walk. Mm. Just talking about anything. Just having joking about that. Just that that time is real important. And for couple, all couples is slightly different. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. How how do you identify? I mean, like you just helped us with that one thing, but how do you identify in general the ways that you do connect? Because for, like Good for question. us and for you also, like we spend so much time around each other doing things that are not considered connection, connection, but working together, being around each other, you know, even being in the house or watching a movie together, it still doesn't feel like the kind of connection yeah. of like, for me, at least leaving the house or like going for a walk around the neighborhood. It's like something different. So how do you identify the way that you can positively collect, uh, connect together? I'm coming. I'm coming. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> well, it's not just on the side. Be away from that. <laughs> yeah. Should ahead. I answer that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, I mean, I mean, I would say one thing. I'll answer this in a few different ways. Is that it's exploratory, mm. and it's for you to feel. It's almost like you know, you you would ask someone like you know, how do I know if I'm happy? Or how do I know if I'm sad? Or how do I know? It's like for you to start to explore what does this feel like and how is it different? Mm. And for me, I'll just speak to, from my own journey. It, it was. Um, I think Sorry. You, you yeah, one second. We just lost the camera. The oh, temperature. Really? Yeah, the temperature. Oh, it overheated? Yeah. You got a heat wave going over there. <laughs> okay, hold on here. 
Internal heat. Just sorting out the camera quickly. Must give me some time to think about what I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, there we go. Not Thanks. as not as beautiful, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, that's good. So I would invite you to um, to explore it in your own bodies and minds. What does it feel like? And when I thought I was connecting with my wife, and then we did other things, I started to notice the difference, mm. and I started to notice how my mind maybe rebelled against it even because I'm a busybody person and my mind was thinking, well, no, I, I should be doing this and I could be doing this. And instead I was had to reckon with being right here, right now with this person. Mm -hmm. Now, explicit things that I could recommend are ways that you could slow down your nervous system together. I mean, looking, these are vulnerable things like holding each other and looking each other in the eyes. Mm -hmm and breathing deep with one another as you do so and just just taking that time maybe even before bed just being present noticing each other notice noticing you know the things that after years of partnership sometimes we take for granted you know the way our partner smiles or their laugh or the way they you know are goofy in this way really almost studying it in a in like wow this is so amazing you know how beautiful is this person in front of me and that's a practice because day-to-day -day life doesn't always allow us that so it's like standing down or standing firm to share that with each other slowing down is real helpful so i talked about the nervous system if, if you can bring yourself to a place that allows you to slow down where your mind moving in rajas and tamas, meaning like what's the future being rajas, what's the past being tamas, can actually be here in the present. Mm. Real important. It's almost like what we would do with our relationship with Krishna. You know, we're trying to have, develop a relationship with Krishna. We, we, we are, are sort of fighting it, the mind going here and there, but he's asking for us to be present with him. Right. Right. So it's this sort of what we would, what would be trying to emulate with our in a partnership and would you say that i mean you said it's a it's a practice but and and your example was that you felt like oh this is not what i should be doing so does um i'm just thinking about you know the love languages and things and how people feel oh. is how people feel love the same as how people feel connection or can it be different yeah that's great. Love, love languages can be definitely different yeah. in relationships. So, and, that, and that's why it's an exploration for sure between the two of you. And to, to, if you, if you, uh, you or the general you to the people listening, if you're creating that culture of really checking in and asking and communicating, how does that feel for you? You know, and exploring it together because you might have different lo love languages. It might not be physical touch. It might be something else. Some of them might be different, and some of them might coincide right. and for for a successful partnership in this connected way you take the time to explore that together and to negotiate it 
meaning you under you start to understand your partner's love language more and you give him her them some of that and then vice versa so it's a dance right and uh you're you're i just want to keep on saying exploring because uh i think it's experiential and this is where it's uh beautiful to give yourselves that and it can go on for the rest of your time together in a committed relationship it's so nice that you can come back to each other and 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 then when you take that time interestingly and you dedicate time uh, uh, your uh, life to some of that time the conflict stuff becomes easier to navigate because you are already better connected yeah. so it acts as a resource to draw from it's like money in the bank for when problems do come up because and the gottmans who are big classic uh researchers in the relationship field they talk a lot about this the more you are able to connect the more you can use that when life gets difficult um, right. you know yeah we say that sometimes right when we're struggling with something we feel really disconnected right now and that's you know trying to find that connectedness can solve the problem that you were dealing with because it's yeah. just you know they're related obviously totally. And the connectedness that you've already established might come up more more in that moment than otherwise if you're just generally not that connected in that way it won't be as present being um i'd like to ask about um when the each person is in different places in spiritual life right. like full disclosure tulsi's a mother it's hard spiritual life is hard Absolutely. for me it's it's um it's also difficult but as a father and working and things like that but what would you say for us to help you know the relationship when there is kind of a disconnect in that way where we remember what it was like maybe in the beginning where the spiritual practices and everything were very um kind of harmonious and together mm -hmm. parallel and things but as time goes on there's because of just circumstances things may be kind of a little bit um not so not so anymore I personally um, have come come past it in the sense of like I'm like I'm my own person. She's her own person. We're all we're both spiritual people. We don't I don't feel like I'll ever leave the practice of Krishna consciousness, but it's just hard at the moment to do that because of circumstances. But I do remember a time where I was like why isn't she chanting as much as me and and did I make a mistake coming into this relationship because she was like a certain way before and now she's not like that but then i remember like it's she's a mother like it's like you know cut her some slack you know the the the, the baby is a deity and etc cetera, etc cetera. so like maybe you can kind of shed some light on on that yeah that's a great question and it sounds like you um hearing what you said it sounds like you navigated some of it yourself by noticing in the beginning maybe you reeled against it or there was something in you an expectation that was dashed and then starting to understand expectation. Yeah. yeah expectation yeah and then starting to understand you know life is um is unfolding and um and i think that it goes it kind of goes back to like what we talked about earlier with like being honest with where we're at in our life and and what our practices look like and being both compassionate to ourselves and to the other person, but also encouraging at the same time. 
uh, without it coming off like sort of weaponized or 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 coming out sideways where you're kind of like upset and and putting pressure on the other person or putting pressure on yourself i mean i know for my you know little bit in bhakti it's like a tightrope i mean bhakti is like a razor's edge you know it'd be between like staying on your practice and then navigating this the the world and and, and responsibilities and and it's it's very challenging so if you can compassionately hold space for that and then maybe and you you i would encourage you both to talk for you to talk about this maybe um check in when you're doing you know i, I recommend couples have these check-ins with each other um on a regular basis check in and, and just talk about it anything really important to just share your heart and and talk about where you're at and, and if you have expectations and they're not there and and they're not being met and, and how you're feeling about even your partner and be, be honest about it. And I teach couples ways to do that. That's not uh, threatening to the relationship. Like, you know, why is this person not what I thought they were, but instead we lead with inquiry and we lead with like respecting and being compassionate to ourselves and the other person. But the broader picture, Prabhu, I mean, that, I think that's really tough. I think, you know, that, that's why I think when I sent the email about subjects, it's like as someone coming into bhakti from um, not being born in the movement and coming into it at a later age, in the beginning uh, honeymoon time, it was like I'm in it. And then once life settled and I noticed my own life and proclivities and I noticed my wife and I noticed our dance, I was like, whoa, this is this is challenging. You know what to speak of those who get into it and are with someone who is not into bhakti right yeah well which could we could go into in another subject so i think it what's that razor's edge i would even ask you because you two are you know have been practicing for so many years what's the razor's edge between staying focused and then understanding where you're at right now in your life I think being honest is such a big part of it um, because you can't properly move forward from something and make advancement towards something when you don't know or you're not even honest of where you are at the very moment. So I think for, for us, for yeah. me, it was like really coming to that conclusion like quite recently, maybe in the past few years and just being like, like having a sense of humility like this is where this is where i am like right. you could say people could say what they want about it they can you know chastise me or defame me or whatever but this is where i am and krishna as from what i know of him as being like an ocean of mercy and my guru being so merciful and all this grace coming towards me that I will get strength as time goes on to move forward, but I have to be humble and be honest and accepting of myself. And I think talking to other parents, like, you know, it's hard sometimes yeah. when you don't have a lot of other parents who are your age or who have taken initiation or have, you know, multiple kids or whatever it is. Um, when you, like, I remember I was talking to one mother and she was just like, how do you do it? And I was like, I don't. <laughs> And she's like, oh, that feels so good to hear that. And just 
connecting on the, 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 you know, playing that we're both struggling and we still want to be devotees. We're still trying. And we're also trying to not, you know, not like a facade, but we're trying to teach our children the importance of being a devotee and importance of Krishna consciousness and why we want to be devotees. Even it's like all these things to think about that. Okay. Yeah. I'm not where I am where I want to be right now, but I have this desire to, to remain on this path and that desire in itself is like yeah. very powerful. Mm -hmm. And I think for many second generation, you know, even though we've, you know, been surrounded by Bhakti since birth, it's we still have to have that dive in honeymoon phase to some extent. Everyone goes through it in yeah. a certain way that, you know, we have a really powerful, you know, moment and 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 or time in our life that we are practicing so strongly. And and then, you know, yeah, it dwindles or whatever like that. Um, yeah. So I, okay, we're talking too loud for him. Apparently. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I think it's interesting because, like, I guess I come back and I don't know if this is a like a, you know, appropriate, but I, I just come back to, you know, and then you, you probably touched upon this is personally, I come back to what well, Krishna, Krishna knows me mm. and Krishna and Guru know, know my heart and they know my desire. And they, they also, they're also like, they want me to move forward, but they also know they want to know me and where I'm at. Does that make sense? Like, mm. yeah. you, but like if you're not honest with where you're at, you know, like I, I'm not, it, it's like God, Krishna's seeing me and, and understanding, okay, this is where you're at Prabhu. You're trying. If I wasn't trying, if we didn't have the desire, it might be different, but that helps me. Like the example that I always hear is like when you are in a mall and you go to that, the site map or whatever, where the, all the stores are, it tells you, it's like, okay, there's 101 store, 102, 103 store. But the main thing is tells you in the mall, where are you right now? You are here. Right? You are here. Yeah. yeah. That's an important part of important. that journey to get to uh, store 102 <laughs> or eight or whatever you want to call it. But it's, it's that yeah. being really accepting of where you are. And in the context of a relationship where the other person is also, right? Totally. And that is such, to use the word again, resource when you can come to that because that is what relationships ask of us to really be present and, and, and hold space for where we are and where our partner is because at times we will want them to be other places and other things. But that's the crucible of partnership and this scenario we're talking about with our sadhana and our bhakti is a good example and a, a, a way to practice that. And it, there is a deep humility and there's a deep like wreck. There's like a reckoning with that. Like this is where I'm at and this is where my partner is. Not in this expectation, not in her expectation, my expectation, their expectation. This is where we're at. How can I not run from it, not fight against it? but learn to see it and, and step forward from there. Yeah. I, I have a really complex question that maybe it's not complex, but um, it's, yeah, it's where, where uh, your relationship and your spirit, spirituality kind of um, 
there's a cross section. So I'll just give the kind of story, like right from the beginning of our relationship, I always saw Nam in a way that was like, he's ahead of me on the path. Like he's more determined. He's more kind of enthusiastic about being a devotee and, and he's, his um, sadhana is stronger and all this kind of stuff. And so I can really have kind of look up to him in, in a way of like guidance. So that was one thing. The second thing is that he's older than me by a few years. So, you know, traditionally we also give respect to people who are older and have had more experience in life, that kind of thing. Then another thing, traditionally, you know, women are a certain way with their husbands. He's the protector. I'm, you know, you know, more, I, I enjoy looking after him and serving him in a certain way. And, you know, he, looks after us and the family so there's all these kinds of relationships of you know not in a negative way but kind of like hierarchy and um and then on the other side of it i have kind of issue with authority and like to be very independent and do my own thing so <laughs> for me going through the relationship <laughs> going through the relationship and giving him that power of like you have the authority to kind of guide me, but I also don't want to accept your... Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I struggle with that because I'm like, I need your help. But then when he wants to give me help, I'm like, I don't want to hear it right now. <laughs> so how... how do Hearing you say that is so therapeutic, by the way. There you go. That's beautiful. You said a little moment there. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I think that... Well, I'll speak to the micro and the macro, it sounds like that's something that's personal to you and you just explained your mood maybe, mm -hmm. but it could be something that happens with Krishna conscious couples perhaps. Right. In a general sense, right? That probably happens. Right. And um, yeah, I, I think there could at times be in most people uh, who are in the position that you described, they might feel torn and there might be like almost, a, you know, Sometimes it could be like an, a resentment or like a backlash from mm. that relationship. And, you know, I think, I think that's natural. Um, it, it's interesting though, because you mentioned that there's sort of like a natural hierarchy. So it's like, I'm hearing you say, how do you respect that natural hierarchy, but at the same time kind of see each other as like mutually independent is what I'm reading. Like right. you want to respect the hierarchy that he may be in a different place in his learning. Right. And he may be he's older and mm. et cetera. And you are more of someone who's taking care of a household. But at the same time you want I'm hearing you say you might want to feel also like you can just respect each other where each other is at instead of seeing him. Right. Is that what you're saying? I think so. What do you think? Yeah, I think that um, what you said earlier about like seeing the, the hierarchy, but at the same time having your own independence or um, not independence, but maybe that's just your. I think what you said in the beginning, Prabhu, is it's like just it's just a personal, it's a personality <laughs> it's a thing. That's just like you yeah. as a person. You're like you're very. You can be very like traditional in some sense, but at the same time you're like a Viking lady, like that's your blood, you know, like that's where you come from. And I'm, and I'm the, I'm a just, no, that's not my blood at all. So it's like a really weird dynamic sometimes in that way. Yeah. 
Um, though my, my wife, I noticed that when I took on that role too much, um, and it could be like that, it could, it could be argued some of that, uh, except the age was about the same age. Well, I'm a little bit older than her, so I guess it works out. Um, is she, I think she's more, all more, all pure Viking blood. I mean, not literally, but <laughs> figuratively speaking. Right. And I think she, it was not good for us. Right. right? Mm -hmm. So I learned, okay, I, I, instead of trying to be her teacher, uh, let me take another, let me turn this into a different relationship. And, oh, interesting. And that happens, I think, with couples. So I'm glad you brought that up. You were sharing your personal experience, but I do think that maybe that happens with couples and uh, it will be different for every dynamic. But when you're noticing that there is a, too much and this is where being clear with each other and honest with each other um maybe the man is not supposed or whoever it is is not supposed to take on that role maybe that doesn't work for the health of your spiritual life right mm. it might create um negative uh backlash backlashes for, for your spiritual life mm. because the other person might start getting resentful or might start, start start thinking oh well like i'm not good enough or you always know everything or who knows? Mm. Do you feel like that? Um, I think that you've worked through that. And I think that you've come to a place of like, okay, appreciating the qualities that I am able to maintain and, and, you know, the devotional things that are, I'm really inspired to do and not because I feel like the, the pushing was more troublesome for you than for me. Right. Yeah. It was like the feeling of like, I'm really trying to help and it's just not going anywhere kind of, it's like very frustrating. And I think as soon as you kind of uh, retracted that, it was like, I feel more peaceful now. Oh, and, totally. hundred percent. I, I, you know, I'm just going to focus on myself and through that, maybe she'll see that I'm just trying to support by giving a strong spiritual backbone to this family kind of thing. Yeah. But then there's also on the other side that if you completely retract, then there's no impetus or there's no enthusiasm or encouragement. I know you were saying there needs totally. to be there needs to be a balance of that. There, totally. needs to, there needs to be, you know, pulling back a little, giving people space, but at the same time encouraging them, okay, like we need to try better. I feel you're at that point now, to be honest. Like, you know, mm -hmm. you do encourage when it's the right time and oh well, why don't we do something together? Like, right. you know, we can yeah. both do uh, this. And maybe it's like, you know sensing it like a tuning in yeah the right moment <laughs> what what is how is she feeling here yeah um, yeah and that's that's important and that's why maybe this type of stuff for devotees is great uh great conversation because a lot might happen around this subject and to be able to really tune in and be honest and to come back to the balance that you just recapped prabhu between like allowing space and then also encouraging and knowing what that balance is and how it changes over time. And then knowing what will be for the best of my spiritual life and her, their spiritual life. Um, I really, at the end of the day, it's always about checking in and tuning in and really holding space for the other person's experience and for our experience. Definitely. I really think so. I think being present, like I've been thinking about that a lot the past few days just being present with the person, like just even on a very like base level, like the phone, the put the phone away and, 
you know, the body language wise also being present is like yeah. makes a real difference in the way that, you know, I'm not like, I'm not like that as a person. Like, I'm just like a man You've and I'm just like, so much better. I'm just like, I'm just like, that's who I have deal with it. You know, like that's who I am. <laughs> now, but now I'm trying after you know, nine years of marriage, I'm thinking, okay, like I need to try a little bit and meet her where she feels loved or at uh, attention and things like what are, what are her needs and where can I, I can step out of my comfort zone or yeah comfort zone i guess into into doing things that might make her feel like i'm there for you and i'm i'm present i, I think that's what i've been thinking of the past few days that's a beautiful reflection and congratulations for like <laughs> Thank that, you. yeah man that self-knowledge for boo that's beautiful and and this is where relationships, again, I, I'm such a fan of them because of all that they can do, you know, for talking on a, a Hare Krishna podcast, you know, I'm a fan of them because I think, you know, it's important to get married and, and be in a committed relationship. But yeah. even generally speaking, I think relationship is such a cool area of of this exploration and growth, because what you're what you said is so powerful, like to get out of that comfort zone. And so relationships push us a little bit to have to like meet someone else where they're at and start to hold space for that and start to navigate areas that might might trigger us or might not might rub up against us in a certain way and then we grow as people i think i think that's amazing because you're able to grow in your capacity as a person if i didn't have my wife uh i'd probably be just kind of like losing a lot of presence in my life and i'd be going 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 but the fact that she says no we this is important to me and now I can see how important it is for us. And, it, and so it, yeah. it gives me so much. Do you, do you also do like coaching because there's relationship, you know, like, you know, whatever homosexual, heterosexual relationship, but also in the sense of like a friendship, like, is there ever counseling needed for friendships? Because, yeah. for, because for what I feel right now in my life as a father, uh, and as a husband working and things like that, is that I feel a lot of, um, let's say a lot, but a sense of sometimes loneliness with without a brotherhood that I used to maybe have had when I was single and kind of no responsibilities. But now that I have a family and I have much more responsibilities, that has really evaporated in my life. And I feel a certain loneliness there and I feel a certain um, hole there in some sort of way. So what would you say to someone who's like, I'm super committed in being and helping my relationship with my family, my wife, et cetera, but how to put attention in that way as well, like a friendship or a brotherhood? Right. Yeah, that's, that's a great question. I think it's super important. Um, you know, the more we get into, into this, we can see how like complex this organism is of a relationship, right? There's a lot yeah. of to think about. Yes. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not kind of advocating getting like, you know, hyper vigilant and like, but it is nice to really take stock. And so what I'm hearing from you probably was, yeah, like you're committed to all this and, and you're, you're, you're loving it and it's your, your Dharma, but you, you notice that you're missing this feeling of brotherhood. And I would encourage you to explore that and to put to put some time into how can you negotiate uh, a relationship or relationships that give you some of that. That's a simple answer. Right. Um, negotiate, but I, negotiate is such a good word for that because it's like it's it is a, a negotiation in some sort of way because there's so much, you know, there's needs on either side, so to say that you have to and also, negotiate. and also giving importance to those feelings that you're having, like 
okay, this is a need of mine. Like just identifying that that's a need is like the first step. You yeah, know? it wasn't until like, like just, just a few days ago, you yeah. you said this thing to me and I was like, okay, so how can we remedy this? Like you need to start doing this, this or this, just, just to kind of yeah. support yourself in this way. Right. Yeah, I love that. So that, that that's a great uh, topic is needs. Mm. And yeah. so checking in what I do with clients is we check in if it's a couple or, or individual and start to, to suss out what are my needs? Because sometimes we might not realize and we may, if we start to take time to hold space for them. And what I um, ask for people to do, which is a growth edge, meaning it's edgy, it's like it might feel uncomfortable, it might be vulnerable, is for them to have non-negotiables. Mm -hmm. Like this is a non-negotiable need for me in partnership and for me as an individual. And if we can own that and communicate it, like. Tulsi said, and, and, and be vulnerable with our partner and then learn how to negotiate how that can happen. And um, so that's something that I talk about with clients. And it's all these things are like consciousness building, meaning if you go back to what your needs are, you know, you start to just take stock of where you're at and they're going to change in life. You're in a certain stage in your life and you're probably feeling, man, I had all this type of brotherhood, Sangha, and now it's not there and I'm longing for that. But you're not going to get that the way it was, but you can get it the way it's meant to be now. Right. right. It will be different in your stage of life and it will be different because of the boundaries of what you need to do for your family and with Tulsi and the children. And that's OK. You know, and that's OK. Another thing I talk about with couples is agreements. And this is something, you know, like you would have a marriage vow or vows mm -hmm. rather when you get married. I, I teach now there can be some obviously some vows like, you know, that that are meant to be for the extent of the relationship. But what I teach is they need to be agree agreements because things change mm -hmm. and priorities change. Our lives change. People come and go, meaning like people die. You know, things change. Big things change. Mm -hmm. So what how can we come back once a year? and talk about what are what our tenants here? What are our agreements? What are we agreeing on right now? Let's zoom out. Let's take stock. Like what's important to us right this year? And how does, oh. we, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So you're, you're coming back, you're coming back instead of it. Like some people think that relationship is like, you just get into it and it takes care of itself. But what I'm an advocate of is being more conscious. So you yeah. take these sacred times, connect and look, okay, what are we agreeing on? Um, for, for example, you know, we, we agree that we are, we are in a monogamous committed relationship. That's a simple one. Mm. But we might also agree to the fact that um, we will take time to move through conflict in a good way and to always come back to each other at the end of conflict. That, that could be an agreement. So that means that you're going to take the time and say, this is something that we are always going to do. Mm. Etc. Cetera, et cetera. So anyway, I just kind of like riffed off what you your first question, but um, yeah, yeah, that's some things to think about. So maybe you can think, Prabhu, about what your needs are right now, and it might be good for you to to stand for them. And Tulsi, maybe you can think about what your needs are right now, and then you can have a conversation. Maybe we could have a conversation here on the podcast. I think you tell me kind of what you're I'm quite vocal about my needs. <laughs> I guess mine I guess I'm less vocal about it. Right. 
But I'm quite good at reading you, even though you don't say necessarily yeah. like because if you're feeling something it will like show on your face like you're not that good at hiding your emotions at least to me so i feel like that's a skill that i've kind of honed over the many years is like something's not right what is it and you're like oh well is this and then you know. I, I like what you said prabhu about how my need may be for brotherhood but how is it going to look right now in my life right. because I don't want it to be like okay I hung out with my friend and and, uh, and that was like that check box that you know that box was checked yeah. off it might it not like, even be oh, okay I feel good about it and that's it no it's it has to, it's look it's looking different and I don't, I don't necessarily even know what it would look like to be honest because you're like, a different person now than you were beautiful yeah. man yeah beautiful because that's like you stepping into being honest with where you're at and yeah. not knowing and saying I'm open to what that could be like, whereas in other other people and, and situations might default. Well, it has to look like this. This is the way it was. Right. That's great. Yeah. I would encourage you to explore that. You know, that's really really cool. I think that there's so much pressure for people in relationships to, and probably especially within the realm of bhakti, like relationships should look like this. Yeah. You know, there's the traditional aspect and there's also, okay, you know, so many other social aspects that this is what relationships look like. Like I remember early on in our relationship, we would be very honest about our feelings. And, you know, even if, um, even if we weren't feeling so like attached to each other or attracted to each other, we would kind of be like, I'm like struggling with this right now. Like I, 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 I'm kind of noticing other people. And like, I really loved that we could be so open about that and like, be like, all right, that's fine. Uh, we're in a committed relationship and we're not planning to go anywhere. So I'm not worried that you're looking other places, but I'm like appreciating that you're telling me that there's a, like an, there's like some vulnerability there that I need to be aware of. Do you, do you remember that? Yeah. And we were both very honest at that early, very early stage. And yeah, I think, I think, and, and so going back to the point, I was speaking to another couple and, and they were kind of like, oh, that is totally off the mark. Like you could never, ever say that to your partner. They should think that they are like, you know, the wind and sky they're like everything you there's no way and that might be right for them but i think for us it was like this is honesty and yeah, it's also like not the way humans work i mean come <laughs> right. on like let's be honest I know. it's yeah. not realistic like, yeah and that's where it's like, yeah i mean you've decided you're conscious and you are creating a container you know that's sacred that's special but we are human beings and, and you know and that is an honest thing. It, it's it's one, and this is something that's to suss out. It's one thing to feel that and to know that and to talk about it. It's another thing, obviously, to act on it, right? right. So to, to say that it's, I just think that's BS, frankly. Mm -hmm. They might be on cloud nine, but like, <laughs> come on, like yeah. we're humans. And, and that's also with spiritual life. Sometimes those things come up where it's like the elevation is you have to be here, but it, it's sort of like, I think for most people, except for the saints that walk this world, that's not true. 
Right. Yeah. right. So if we can be honest, but also no, no, but we're committed and we have the tools to come back together. We have the tools to to not like act on that. And we have the tools to 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 create a, a safe, secure space. And honesty and vulnerability in that way should bring us back to that, that safe, secure space. I, I maybe, felt, it, maybe make it stronger. Sorry. Right. I no exactly. I felt more, you know, in power, kind of, you know, strength in our relationship, knowing that the times of connection were real and truthful because of that vulnerability. And that I know, okay, if you're not feeling the connection, you're gonna tell me that you're not feeling it. It's not just gonna yeah. be like, oh yeah, we're really connected right now, and I'm looking somewhere else. No, we, you know, we all have times of weakness. We all have times when we're like, did I make the right decision? I definitely like. Oh into the into the marriage i was like was this the right decision to make but it's not that i'm going to go back on it personally and um, really I, th I thought i was the only one that, that. <laughs> i told you that <laughs> yeah yeah i think i and i think that um to to put to put to put ourselves in a position where we're not seeing that not being honest could actually create leakages does that make sense? Right. Like yeah. you're, you're saying, no, 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 like, you know, you're all the way, but then all of a sudden, because you're not processing it, that, as I said before, Prabhu, like with emotions and such, it may come out, right, in a way that could not, actually could not be healthy to the relationship. Right. Um, and I think it's different for all couples, but my call BS was that, you know, just the way people are, um, you know, uh, I think it's okay to understand that we have these proclivities that we have you know, some, some lower baser parts of us. And, and just, we're just human. Even if you want to call them lower or baser, we're just human beings and we're trying yeah. to become better. I wanted to ask you, um, like just talking now and getting to know us here at this moment, what would you think are some other things we can add to our working on our relationship? I know you mentioned a number of things such as, you know, holding space and um, connection, finding that connection, understanding, okay, there's, there's us, uh, as individuals, but there's also the relationship yeah. but then supporting that relationship. What other things would you recommend? Um, well, maybe maybe we can, maybe we can do something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's do it. That'd be nice. And yeah. Yeah. It. And, um, it's, it's just something that it's a way to connect, um, that I think can be, could be helpful. Okay. So what, what I'm going to ask you two to do is to turn to one another. If that's okay. <laughs> Okay, so we're both, each of you will take turns. I'm going to guide you through it. And this is called, this is just a listening exercise. We're just going to learn to listen to each other deeply. And I'm going to explain it now. And then I'm going to lead you through it. So you don't have to remember it. I'm going to lead you through it, but I'm going to explain it now. Okay. And so what's going to happen is one person's going to speak whatever they feel like they want their partner to really understand. It doesn't have to be about the relationship. It could be about anything that they just, they just want to feel, feel that from their, their loved one. And the listener is going to do this. The listener is going to listen and practice repeating back just what the person said in their own words. Okay. Step one. Sorry, sorry tell me again, what am, I, what, what am I doing as the speaker? <laughs> this is going to be the real challenge. <laughs> Speaker is just speaking something that they really want to be heard. They want to find the speaker. No, no, Whoever, no, no, no. You guys, you're going to switch. You're both going to take yeah. time. So I'm so, saying something that I want her to hear. Yeah. yeah. 
You okay. want you want her to hear it. You want her to really get it, to really understand it. It could be about anything. It could be about you know work, something at work. It could be about anything. It could be about the relationship or about something you're going through. And then the, the listener, if Tulsi's going to be listening first, you first step is you repeat back what you hear. Okay. So now what this does is it allows the listener to hear, oh, that's what I said. And then it allows the, excuse me, it allows the speaker to hear, oh, wow, that's what I said. And it allows the listener to get out of their projections or possible possible fracking okay fracking means the tendency to fix rescue advice give complain or kill the other person's experience i got this from a teacher mine. i can't claim credit we need to write, we need to write I love that it. down <laughs> i love it fracking yeah okay because sometimes we tend to, to frack like my, my wife might start talking to me and i want to fix the situation for her but right. she doesn't really want that she wants to just be heard or vice versa right. Okay. So, Tosi, when you're listening, resist the urge to be like, "Well, you know, blah blah." But about what about that? Just, <laughs> just repeat back what you hear, and, and I'll explain the next couple parts. Then you're just gonna check in. Do I repeat in my own words, or own do words. I just repeat exactly what he no, said? In your own words. In my own words. Okay. In your own words. Yeah. Suggest without projections, without trying to fix. And then, Nam Ras Prabhu, you can repeat. You can say, "Yeah, that's true," and it might bring up more things. And then Tulsi, you're then going to just check in. Did I get that right? Is there anything more? Okay. And then I have after- to kind of think about what I want to be heard on because I usually say to her already what I am thinking. Maybe we're self-realized or something. Yeah, um, maybe you don't even need this. For the all the mere morals out there. Okay, I'll I'll. I'll I'll be the speaker because you, okay. he told you what you should what you should okay. do after you that. You just tell yeah. Okay. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I want us to do more spiritual activities together, and I know that you want to also, but sometimes get lazy and just you know do anything and things that are not towards spiritual activities and i want you to be a support in that way and i don't sometimes i don't feel supported in that way which i've kind of like learned to live with but i know you have that potential to do that because you're a very strong person so that's why so what i'm hearing is that you want to do more devotional um, activities together and you want me to take a lead sometimes in suggesting those things or being a support to you and not you always being a support. Is that correct? Yeah, I feel like the second, third, and third part are like more, more, far more important than even the, the first part. Mm-hmm. Cool. And then so, good job, both of you, Tosi. Is there anything else you would ask him? Is no. there anything else that you want to tell me or that you want me to understand? Um, that like 
I've never loved someone so much in my life. And I, I care, I care about you so much, but it may not feel, it may not be in the way that you are uh, maybe the way you might accept that, but just know that I do. And, and I'm just a different person than you. And I communicate differently from you, but, mm. but I just like nothing I would rather be than a husband and a father and, and be in your family and our family. Do I, do I repeat that as well? I don't know if I can repeat it without like crying or something. <laughs> no, this is, this is what is crying's a good part of this. You can repeat it and you're also allowed to cry even though, yeah. Okay. So what I understand from what you said or what you said was that you love me so much and you want to you want me to know that and that i might not understand that because the way that you show me that you love me is not always the way that i understand what love is exactly. but even if i don't understand you want me to know because you're telling me right now yes that it's true and is that all uh oh and that there's nothing more that you want to be than a father and a husband and do those things with me. Correct. Is there anything else? No. Wow, that was pretty good. <laughs> How did we do? <laughs> well, it's your turn. We're not, we're not done. You're, we're not done. Such, you're such a great, it's so inspiring to, to, to be in this in presence of you too. So what you're going to do next, Tulsi, is you're yeah. going to, you're going to, practice empathy so you're going to put yourself in um in your partner's shoes like feel where he's coming from and say if i were in your position i would feel this that so he did sort of say two different things uh, but you can choose maybe and feel feel what that would be like for him this really allows us to really take and, and understand the side of our partner what would that feel like would I ask him a question or am I just, uh, You're just literally trying, that? trying to imagine what would knowing him well, what would that feel like for him? Either of those things that he talked about, mm. what might be some of the feelings inside of him? Really try to feel that. What, which one are you going to pick? Oh, do you want me to say? Say it, yeah. Okay, sure, sure. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I can, I, I can say both. I feel like the first is like a deep desire to do something and connect in a spiritual way, which we have felt in the past. Can you, can you look at um, uh, your partner in the eyes? And, yeah. Sorry, I know the microphone. So yeah, yeah no, it's fine. Um, and... Yeah, I, I think we feel amazing and amazing and strong when we're trying to practice Krishna consciousness together and maybe that's part of the relationship that you're feeling is lacking at this point in our life and that's probably frustrating for you and you feel maybe lonely in your attempts to um, be a devotee um, and furthermore going on that same theme of frustration uh, it might be frustrating for you to feel like you're giving me so much love 
and maybe I don't feel that you are. So it's like a misunderstanding of intention and I'm trying so hard, but it's not getting recognized. And how can I, how can I show her the truth? She's not understanding kind of thing. Is that, is that right? That's right. Beautiful. And good, Namras Prabhu, I love that you held her hands. That was very wonderful. Thank you. Great, great ninja move there. <laughs> he knows how to get me. <laughs> Final part, and then I, want, I would like you to switch. Uh, Tulsi, I would love for you to share. It's called sharing impact. So now you get to share. Hearing all this, what does it bring up in you? How do you feel just hearing this? Um, you can look at um, Namras Prabhu having having heard this and the way that you're telling me in you know such a direct thing such a direct way it makes me feel that this is more important than maybe you have previously um implied because it's like a di very direct and it's like if someone has a need for me i mean my role to myself in the family is to see to everybody's needs and I feel in general that I'm fairly good at that. But what I'm understanding is that I'm overlooking a need of yours and maybe not giving it the importance that um, it needs, it deserves. Is that correct? Yeah. You're such a good communicator. <laughs> I'm so in awe of you. Maybe you should get into this line of work too. <laughs> He's been trying to get it. Yeah. He's very yeah. good. Yeah, beautifully said. Great. All right. So now you get you get you 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 were able to dive into that very deep, very quick. So I appreciate that in the two of you. And then we are going to switch, but okay. um, you can sort of see what this is creating. Even though that was quick, and and some couples it takes a while to get into that. Okay, but you saw the space that it created. So now let's switch. So you both get the experience of being in both roles. Okay. So Tulsi, mm -hmm. something you'd like to share, and then. I'll coach you through the rest. Okay. Um, I need some time uh, to take care of my personal needs within the week. That's it. That time that is not owed to anyone or um, that no one's knocking on the door, like no kids are knocking on the door, <laughs> trying to, like, time that I don't feel guilty about spending doing whatever I'm doing, whether it be wasting time or personal care or sleeping in or whatever. Great. Namras Prabhu, so you can just repeat back what you heard Tulsi say and in your own words. What I'm hearing you say is that you want some personal time every week to do whatever you want to do because otherwise your your day has your day is fully like from from 24 hours is like practically 24 hours is like things need to be done a certain way for the kids for me for the family for the house etc so you need some time where you are dedicated to just doing what you want to do without any interruptions or any distractions or disturbances all right yes that is correct and then Namras Prabhu, can you just act, is there anything else that you want to share? Is there anything else? Um, um, 
sometimes you know as as a mother the things like th doing things that need to be done take priority over our own time like you know if i i feel that i might need help to enforce that kind of time because naturally if i have this time that i'm like oh my god i need to get groceries i'm going to use that time to go and get groceries and that's not something for myself necessarily although i might negotiate with you and say actually it just really needs to get done so i'm going to do that this time but i feel that i don't put my needs first and i need support to prioritize my needs okay <clears throat> so what i'm hearing is that you sometimes may use that time for other things but you want it prioritize them for and you need my support to prioritize those things uh specifically for your own what we've talked about your needs uh whether whatever it may be right prioritize my own needs within that time right mm -hmm. and uh Tulsi do you feel understood is there anything else yes I feel understood Great. All right. Prabhu. So now you can put yourself in Tulsi's shoes and just imagine where she's at. Imagine what her schedule's like, what this would feel like for her, where she's coming from. I think that you live a very fast life. And I always hear you sometimes like, oh, my God, the day is, is already over. And it's hard to keep up with everything and you're a very creative person and you're a very artistic person and you have certain needs of whether it's gardening or sewing or uh, crochet whatever it may be right. uh you have those needs that you had in the past right. that when you grew up you were doing all those things dramas and you know artistic uh um what is it called artistic um like uh activities or uh not activities but things that you want to do that you want to get done uh goals maybe goals, goals right, yeah right. perhaps goals uh and so to not be able to do those things is like uh is like you're losing yourself you've right. lost yourself as a mother mm. and as a as a wife and a homemaker right so to bring back those things to your life would enrich your life a lot more and you would be able to find yourself again in some sort of way. Maybe not as the same as before, but you will be able to find yourself again if you have that time, whether it's an hour a day or a few hours a week or whatever it may be. So right. um, that's what I that's what I feel like if I'm in your shoes. Right. Is that right? Yeah, that's how I feel. I think, yeah, it's challenging to, I mean, it's challenging to be a parent and have so many responsibilities and at the same time uh, kind of moving into uh, this identity of I am a parent, but I'm also who I was before. And, you know, those don't have to be against each other. They can be, you can still be that person and you can still love the new person that you are as well. And But yeah, those little things that help you feel like I'm still me they're so important. Yeah. Great. And finally, Namras Prabhu, if you could share impact, which means sharing how hearing this impacts you, what does it bring up for you? How do you feel? 
Um, I feel like um, I'd love to do those things. Uh, I just want to understand really clearly um, how we can, as a team, do those things. And um, that looks realistic for both of us. Um, and that I do, I do take, I'm starting to much more in the past few months, you could say, take that into account, but, um, maybe they're not the right times, like the sleeping in thing, like I've been doing that lately, right. um, giving you time away from the kids, co-sleeping and things like that. So that I understand that, but I know it's more than that. It's not just, over, it's not just the sleeping thing. It's like when you're out about and awake and and the day is going but maybe in the weekend uh some hours i i i yeah take the kids somewhere the weather's good you know you can be on your own for some time um but in the past what it's been is just you catching up on tiredness yeah. and that's i think that's something we need to work on as a as a partnership that like let's catch up on our tiredness so then you'll be able to do the things that you want to do right. such as XYZ crocheting, sewing, etc. Right. You want to gardening, right. like even you want to make a garden and you can't because you're just, yeah. you're tired, overworked, tired. You have a certain schedule. Right. And even if I gave you time, you'd probably, you know, I'm not saying this as a, as a criticism, but you'd probably have to rest right. over gardening. Right. Mm -hmm. That's my thought. Wonderful. Great. So this is if you felt this it's it's a little different than just having a conversation because ah, great. more more kind of comes out of it yes right? yes definitely it's yeah a little bit more and you did that so both did that so well i mean it's not a competition or anything but right. you did it so well you kind of got right to the point you felt heard you were able to say express what you're feeling so now what i'd recommend is you can take some time maybe after the call and um, you can come up with some agreements. Remember I talked about agreements earlier? Right, sure. right. This is a great uh, weave and weft. You check in with this active, reflective listening every month, every week. Mm. Check in and see, and then maybe come up with some agreements to provide those things for each other. Working agreements, because they change. Right. And as they sound nuanced, because you have a lot, both have a lot going on. Both of your bids, both of what you need, probably are nuanced. So. Mm. so how often should we do this? Or is it like a kit? It's just like, yeah, I recommend couples try to do it once a week. Mm. Oh, really nice to do like that. That. If that. If that's not feasible for you, like I had one, one couple I work with and we would meet every Friday and they just decided to do it that Friday, even after we stopped meeting, they just would meet Friday for about an hour and it, or it could even be for 30 minutes. It doesn't have to be very long. And I that would really help things. Yeah, absolutely. Like, just I, it's just like, it's just like whatever's on your mind, you can communicate that. And then, like you said, more comes out as oh, you do that whole strategy. Of and also because it's structured, it's like, you can't really turn into an argument in the same way because you're like actively trying to totally. listen and understand. So it's like yeah. the, the structure is protecting what oh. you're trying to achieve. Exactly. That, and that's why. Towards the end, we kind of got out of it a little bit, but it's why it's important to keep the structure and then after it, then maybe have some of those conversations mm. because it does allow it not to go into all this other stuff, as you mentioned so well, as you explained so well. Um, well and then it could be about anything too. It doesn't even have to be about the relationship. It could just be something that like you're trying to process and just by having someone there, 
to be in that state and give you that space, you mm -hmm. can might move through it better. Yeah. Well, Dhammadar Prabhu, it was really fantastic speaking with you. It was, it was really enlightening and you have so much wisdom to share. And I hope that more devotees can get in contact with you if they're um, looking for relationship uh, coaching, a life coaching, um, counseling, etc. And um, I just want to put your plug out here as far as uh, your website. So for our listeners, it's empoweredconnection.me, uh, empoweredconnection.me for all the audio listeners here as well. Um, and that's how you can, they can cut in contact with you through that website. Yeah, you can contact me there. What well, we have like a free for a first free coaching session. That's a discovery session. I also mm -hmm. do post on Instagram a lot and I do a post about tools and tips to help your relationship. And I also have a podcast uh, as well called Empowered Connections. And uh, you can check that out. Uh, and that talks a lot about relational growth in addition to self-growth and some spirituality. Bhakti as well. Give me your Instagram handle again. It's pretty simple, similar to this. It's just at empoweredconnection.me. Uh, me. Uh, me. Okay. That's yeah. your Instagram handle. That's the Instagram handle. So Instagram handle empoweredconnection.me. You can find um, Dhamma Prabhu there. And he also has um, Bhava Wellness. Can you tell us just briefly about that? We have a few minutes. I don't want to go over two hours or else the StreamYard does funny things and won't allow to stream. But yeah. tell us a little bit about this. Yeah, my wife and I run this together. It presents some of what I do, my services, but also our healing wellness product line, which is oh, right. all uh, Ayurvedic-based herbal remedies, um, and we have an online shop and we do other healing services as well, part of Baba Wellness. And we ship awesome. across the world. So wonderful. Yeah. Amazing. <laughs> I really, really hope a lot more devotees can in touch with you because I really feel like people working on relationships and family and just it's so needed. It's so needed in our movement. And as devotees, sometimes we don't, we <laughs> think, okay, chant Hare Krishna and everything will be okay, which is true, but also we need to work on our to relationships do the work. <laughs> need to do the work yeah krishna and yes and. yes everything will be okay and yeah yes yeah. i love that i love that okay prabhu please stay on i'm just going to turn off the recording Hare krishna thank you so Haribo. much thank you so much thank you so much for your service Haribo.